the throb of motorcycle engines fill the air. New bright machines are all set to take over from existing ones. Welcome to the False Neutral Podcast. This is episode 131, our final episode. Eric and Garrett are with me. Hi, guys. How's it going? Oh, pretty good. So we made it to 131. We should have ended it at 130. 131 just seems like such a odd number. Actually, Eric did an interview with, I think it was the Ducati guy. You you labeled it a bonus episode. So it's actually 130 plus a bonus episode because it wasn't on our usual schedule. Mm, okay. So, so if we end on one thirty, we're 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 ending on my old race number one thirty. Ah, there you go. Oh wow! We'd have to make it to six two five to get to my race number. So, well, I was two forty four. So, it, it, <laughs> yeah. So if I were, we were going to pick a number, it was going to be Eric's. Yes. Yes. Uh, the intro that you just heard is a little different than what we normally do, but I was going back through some files that I had associated with the podcast and I found that's actually the original intro I was going to use when we were putting together our first one. I made that up and then I decided it was a little too busy and long and confusing. So I made a simpler version about four days later that was the one we actually end up using for the last 130 episodes. Uh, the dialogue is from a uh, Pathé News newsreel from early 60s, late 50s, something like that. And the there's a voice at the end saying, uh, still going hard, third gear, fourth gear. And that's uh, Mike Halewood when he was doing narrating a lap around the Isle of Man for Peter Starr's movie, uh, Take It to the Limit, which uh, we ended up talking about on our Hollywood movies about motorcycles episode. But uh, that's where those audio dialogue clips come from. And technically, one of the reasons I didn't use it is because they're not licensed. I mean, I just kind of sampled them from videos that technically we didn't have the rights to. Mm -hmm. But hey, it's the last one. Who cares? Yeah, Rumble Strip Radio had there technically are 100 episodes of that somewhere, but most of them used audio from races, from broadcasts, from movies for for all kinds of stuff. So as long as it's little snippets, it's like no one cares. Yeah, and and with audio effects behind them, it's not like it's detectable. But right. But still, I was trying to be a good guy and do it the honest way. So, uh. As we always do, let's start with a workshop update. Let me get mine out of the way. Okay. There is none. Okay. <laughs> you still own an XS500. 400. XS400, sorry. Yes. Yep. Um, yeah. And then between um, the garage barely dodging a number of very large tree branches that have fallen in the uh, between an ice storm and a monster snowstorm and you know a couple other windstorm um yeah it's still in there we have to have two trees taken down because of it so oh, bummer so we had these really nice big arborvitae and uh, one by one they all died mm -hmm. there were two that were still alive out of like seven we're like you know what just pull them out it wasn't drought or anything it was just soil temperature like i said yeah it just got too hot last summer and these were kind of northern trees that really didn't belong here anyway. So we had them all ripped out. So I can mm. sympathize with you. Yeah, we have a probably 100-foot blue spruce tree in our backyard that's not in the best of shape. So it's been dropping a lot of limbs. And the last thing I need is some dropping on the dogs while they're out there. So. Uh, yep, yep. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I really was hoping to have really big dynamic news for my last workshop update. And... I'm very close to having the bride rideable. And in mm -hmm. fact, I was going to reassemble it. And the, the swing arm was just a little rinky dink. I had slimmed down both of the little Delrin bushings on either side because I'd cut down the width. 
and they were closer together, closer to the center line of the bike. So they were higher forces over half the area. And I really didn't like it. So I was like, do it right. So I machined this extension that is a press, really tight press fit on. And there's bronze bushings on one side where it was assembled. So it's actually got three bushings now that are full width, but I had to make a Delrin bushing. It's not Delrin. It's, it's acetyl C, which is very similar to what the original material is, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's close enough to the same that it'll suit for this. So I bought some off eBay, put it in the lathe, got it built up. And in putting it in the press and pressing everything together, I scraped up the sides of it. And I was like, I really need to repaint this. So just this afternoon, I got the swing arm repainted. Uh, The whole frame and everything is painted something close to Can-Am qualifier red. It's got a Can-Am qualifier tank. And I've been very carefully restoring the tank according to there's a really good tutorial by I think it's TNT Moto is the guy on on YouTube that talks about restoring old dirt bike tanks and making them look good. And it's really good advice and it really works. So I got a really nice tank now. Plastic tank, right? Yeah. Not metal. No, no, it's a it's a plastic mm-hmm. uh like uh blow molded, roto molded or whatever those, you know, just like a Clark tank or one of those. Yeah. So you scrape it with a a box knife blade and you scrape off all the oxidized stuff and then sand it down. You go 400, 600, 800, 1200, and then take and go over it with a heat gun and then uh, buff it with a no polishing compound, but a buffing rag on a drill. And mm-hmm. you get one of those big bonnets over a five or eight inch round buffing wheel. And it, really does it's it takes an incredible amount of time but it worked really well and mine was in bad shape now i've got some big gouges and stuff i won't get out of it i had like discoloration from the decals and stuff mm-hmm. you can still faintly see where it said can am on it just because they discolored differently because of the adhesive behind the 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 decals but i'm gonna i've got some white vinyl i'm just gonna kind of put a color block on that section to cover that up and it'll look great. So I wanted the swing arm and the frame to match the tank. And uh, I was looking for a color matched paint and color matched paints are just incredibly expensive. Like, you know, 40 to $60 a can. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that. I finally found out that Chevy, I believe they call it orange red engine paint. Yeah is within a shade just it's a different enough shade you can tell it's a little different with painted metal and plastic it's going to look different anyways Mm -hmm. it's enough that it doesn't make any difference so i bought that for i bought three cans for like seven or eight bucks a can Mm -hmm. it worked okay it's great that it's like engine paint so it doesn't run it's like really high solids to it um, it's not as durable as I think I thought it was going to be because like just putting it in the press and setting it down on stuff, I scraped up the side, but it's a bike made out of crap. So it mm-hmm. really doesn't make any difference. So I was, I was hoping to report for this, that I had the bride up and running, but with the extra time I took to get the swing arm, right. Which I'm really pleased that it, I think it's really robust and solid now. And I don't need to worry about having a cheesy arrangement so i don't but i will probably soon so anybody who's still interested in following that you can go to tanchinomi.com my ongoing blog that will update you on that and i'll post a video once i get it running and i'll post something on our uh, the false neutral facebook page once i get it running so I was hoping to say I did, but uh, my church has a car show, I think, the end of April. It's, you know, 20 miles across town. So Mm. if I could take you to that, I'll feel great if I can actually have it working well enough to go there and back. And if I do, that'll be like, hey, success. And then I don't know what I'll do with it. But 
So uh, haven't done a thing on Boltakenstein. I have the engine back still sitting in the crate, and I've been using the crate as a uh, work stool while working on the other one. Nice. I'm going to try and uh, rework the front engine mounts. Right now it's rubber mounted in the rear, and it's not in the front. And everything I've read is that's a normally bad thing because all you do is you allow half of it to vibrate so that all the vibrations go through the down tube of the frame and actually vibrates more than if it's just solidly mounted. So I either have to put solid mounts in the rear where I've currently got rubber, or I need to create rubber mounts for the front. I actually worked out how to do that without a whole lot of hassle. So I may do that. I may not, but nothing's going to happen on that until after I get the other one on the road. So that's my not terribly impressive workshop update. Yeah, I don't know if mine are any more impressive. I haven't really done a whole lot on motorcycles. I've actually been working a bit on my automotive stuff. How is the Roadster? You can update us on that as well. Yeah, the Roadster. So I've been working on getting the rear end narrowed. Um, I got a fixture from a buddy for narrowing a rear end. It's this big, solid steel tube that goes through the center section of the rear end, kind of retains everything Mm. uh, in alignment. Um, so I've been working on getting the rear end narrowed on that roadster, but I've actually, I've got a, it's a 66 Ford ranch wagon, which is kind of like a galaxy, like a galaxy 500, but it's the wagon version of it. Mm-hmm. And it's got this neat tri-power 428 engine in it. Um, but when the engine was new, the, the, the cylinder heads have these pretty large valves in them. They're 209 size intake valves and they're stainless. So they're pretty heavy and it had a kind of aggressive cam and, um, I had a, a decent amount of valve spring in it, and I was hoping that I could get away with breaking the cam in with those valve springs, but it just didn't work out. And the camshaft and the brake end rounded over. Ooh. So now I need to pull the motor out, clean it all out. And, and when I break in the cam, I'll just have to do the extra work and put some soft springs in it, break the cam in, and then replace the valve springs with the springs i'm actually going to use so i've been working on the, the key to that to avoiding that is just to go right in with and put roller lifters in there and then you don't have to worry about it yeah well i did actually um i have a whole hydraulic roller cam for it mm-hmm. um so just, that'll just just do that yeah and then you don't have to worry about the break yeah so it was you know a little bit of a uh investment to get the whole hydraulic roller cam but I'm just going to tear the motor apart, just clean it out, make sure that none of the bearings are harmed, and then um, put the roller cam in it. And um, then I won't have to really worry about that issue. I remember when uh, my buddy was working on his 455 Oldsmobile to 67 and that particular engine build, and we stuck a cam in it and did a bunch of other work to it and fired it up and we're breaking into the cam and it was sounding really good. And then it was like really lumpity 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 kind of idle and all of a sudden it got smooth like it was an rv cam and we're just like oh no why is this pulling a lot of vacuum all of a sudden and it's like cam rounded yeah so exactly what you're talking about so yeah we just i think we drained the oil ran like 14 quarts oil through that engine and then just slapped a new cam in it Mm -hmm. and lifters and called it good yeah it was fine after that so yeah yeah so i've been working on that car a little bit on the roadster, not a whole lot on the motorcycles. I still have my my RZ engine is or uh, the gas tank is sitting in primer. I need to finally just get the color shot on it and put that back together, and then probably just sell it so I can work on some of the other projects. So, so w- when you're all done with that, what is something that you want to build for yourself that you want to? <laughs> well, there's t- two uh, motorcycles. They're the only two that I'm like really actually interested in, which are the my RD 400 or 350. The one with the, but it's the, yeah, the custom, you know, the monoshock mono frame. And, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and then the other RZ, the ugly RZ. Yeah. The ugly RZ. But with that one, I have a, a set of, well, actually, I have two sets of cylinders. I have a set of um, big bore banshee cylinders set up for a four mil stroke so those cylinders would um make a displacement of 421 cc's and then i have a set of cylinders that are re-sleeved and um they've been welded on top of for a 10 mil stroke which would be a 460 
CC. So I could <laughs> I could build the engine in either of those two configurations, either a 421 four mil or a 460 CC 10 mil stroke. So then you need to take that engine and then when Abby has another RS250 Aprilia, uh-huh. you just swap out the V-twin yes. Suzuki motor and you put one of those in and then mm-hmm. you have a 300 pound, 85, 90 horsepower one machine. Yeah, the four, the 421 engine would be 85 or so. The 460 yeah. would probably be um, 95 mm-hmm. right around there. So, yep. Um, so yeah, I have either one of those options. Uh, I would probably end up doing the 421 because it's actually a little bit less work for me and the difference in power. I mean, 10 horsepower is a lot. Like you would, you would feel a huge difference between those two engines, but still a 421 powered RZ is that's a lot of motorcycle. So yeah, you think? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Especially, you know, like if you've never ridden, you know, a lightweight, really powerful two stroke, I think it would shock most people because just the way the power comes on, it, mm-hmm. it feels a lot different than yes. a four stroke that's it's, you know heavier and it's it's nothing, 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 and then it's the enterprise going to war. Yeah. I mean visually, visually too. It just like wang. Yeah. You know, when it gets on the pipe and everything literally just stretches out and bang. And hopefully you're not in a turn and need to steer yes. at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially, you know, when it's so lightweight, um, mm-hmm. makes a very big difference. A lot of fun. So yeah, that, that RZ, um, I had the gas tank stripped when I had my other RZ gas tank stripped and luckily it, there's no rust holes in it, but there are some pretty significant dents in the side, but, um, that's okay. You know, like I've done a lot of um, two-stroke expansion chamber, you know, dent removal where you, um, you know, pressurize it. You can just use compressed air with a little Schrader valve. You just plug both ends and then you can just use a little torch and heat up the area. And it just, it's really easy to get those dents out. The gas tank, there's absolutely no fuel uh, vapor left in it because it's been chemically dipped and everything. I can pressurize the tank and work those dents out just like I do a two-stroke pipe. The thing is super ratty, but it's got all the neat parts on it. Like it's got the uh, uh, more later model front suspension on it and and the whole rear swing arm. It's like a FZ 600? Yeah, it is. Actually, I think what's on this is um, Kawasaki ZX-6 parts. Oh, really? Which are like almost identical. In fact... Visually, you almost can't even tell them apart, but um, uh, yeah. And then, so it's got some really horrendous tail section on it. So I'll probably just find something on AirTech streamlining. Uh, I was looking at just doing like the uh, uh, Honda RS250 tail section on it, you know, because it's just a clean tail section. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's it. You know, just the, just the front tank and a rear tail section and no other body work on it. So you get a 160 size tire on the rear and, you know, normal size 110 or 120 on the front and a lot of power and that'll be fun. But I think I'm probably going to build that RD first. That's just such a neat and unique motorcycle with the frame and, uh, you know, plus I have those gold heads and the way that I can build that motorcycle, I think it's just going to be super cool. So that's the project that I really want to finish on my own. Like everything that I've done so far is really just fixing something up because I know I'm going to ride it for a while and then sell it. But there's um, that RD 350 specifically. That's one that all that'll be in my collection forever. It's just such a cool, unique motorcycle. On that uh, on that two stroke theme, there was a video that came across my YouTube feed probably two, three weeks ago. And it was, um, the channel is, is nine, nine, nine laser. And he's a mostly off-road two stroke guy, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but he, uh, he rode the, that Langan 250 V twin to 250 CC one. Mm-hmm. He compared it against the 92, uh, Yamaha TZR 250. And it was, it was a cool video. And yeah. it was one of those ones watching it's, 
you know, eight, again, like we're saying, 80 horsepower, 250 cc, two-stroke bike that weighs 240 pounds or something like that, something crazy like that. Yeah, it's 35 mm-hmm. grand or whatever, but it's like go to England, buy it, disassemble yeah. it, ship it over here, and then just custom build so you, you know yeah. you can register it here, get a uh, a new VIN for it, and, and, oh, and have yeah. fun with it. It would be so much fun. It's so, but apparently that engine is made by some company in Italy that kind of mass produces those engines. Hmm. So even then, it's just like just buy the engine in the gearbox, you know. Right. Put it in a Yamaha R3 or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I also um, I have my Bridgeport mill, and my mill has it's got a lot of time on it, and it really needs like seriously comprehensive service and it's kind of hard to find a company that will like come out to your location that'll like kind of rebuild machine equipment they exist but they're you know like with anything in those sorts of um industries the people that support machines like that they're just getting harder and harder to find as everything gets more like automated and like you know, machine shops go out of business and get replaced by bigger companies. So um, I found a company here locally that's able to come out and and service that mill that I have. So I'm going to have them come out. It needs, I mean, they have to take the whole mill head off the table, kind of go through the whole thing. It's got like this auto oiling system that hasn't been working. And so I've like sort of been like manually oiling, but I'm not even sure if I'm like oiling everything that needs to be oiled so um they're gonna come out and give my milling machine a complete overhaul which i'm very excited for that machine needs some help like i said it's got a lot of miles on it and it's never really had much work done so is it getting sloppy or it is in certain not holding tolerance in certain areas of the feed table like where i use it most often there's a little bit of slop developing it can still hold really tight tolerances, um, but there is ways where you can sort of get that sloppiness out. And there's some wear parts that need to be replaced too. So uh, yeah, that, so that's going to happen. I'm excited for it. It's, uh, it's long overdue to get that machine working the way it's supposed to. Long overdue. So that's about it for my workshop updates. Cars and just getting my machines working right. When you were talking about going to England and importing something, I was talking with Abby. I know I had mentioned that I was interested in, you know, getting a 254, either mm-hmm. you know, like an FZ 250 or something. Uh, talking with Abby, uh, Iconics broker in Japan had a jade available that he could pick up that was. 8,000 miles on it. And Abby's like, I can, I can put it at your doorstep for seven grand. Mm-hmm. And we had just bought a 22 foot travel trailer. And, <laughs> and I was like, Oh, this is not a good time. But I, there was one day at work. I literally didn't get any work done. Cause I was just sitting there going, yes, do it. Just, just tell him to do it. <laughs> just, just, just tell him you'll take it and then figure out how to finance it. And, and I was like, no, and uh, no, we really can't right now. This is not a good time. And, and all he had to show me were somebody took cell phone snaps of a monitor. They were pictures on a computer monitor that had been t- so they had that more pattern of the you know the interference mm-hmm. patterns on there, and it was a fairly high resolution picture of a low resolution picture on a screen, and. <laughs> I emailed him back and I was like, uh, what would I have to put down up front? And what, when would the rest of it be due? And I hadn't talked to Sarah about it. And I was like, I really am not going to make a $7,000 decision without my wife, at least, you know, signing off on it. That's just not the way we do things. I didn't want to come home and say surprise. Cause I had to let him know by eight o'clock the next morning Pacific time. So like 10 o'clock at, in the morning it was it was literally like yes no yes no i'm I'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it do it right now send him a text and no i really can't and no i gotta wait and and it was about 5 15 that afternoon i was getting ready to go home 
I was like, no, not based on these little blurry pictures without any information about how the sale goes. And the fact that I just spent $2,000 on a motor for one of the two project bikes that I'm working on now, I just texted back. I was like, no, I'm, I got to let this go. And came home and talked about it. And Sarah was like, yeah, I'm really glad you made that decision because I didn't want to have to be the heavy to say, oh, hell no. <laughs> For all of those reasons. She said, can I remind you, you were the guy that almost had an accident, was ready to get rid of your spider. That's like a whole lot safer than this. Yeah, you can bring that up. That's OK. That makes me feel a little bit. So I don't know if I will ever do anything like that sanity stepped in and reigned, but I was so close mm -hmm. and I wanted it so bad. And I was like, I could, I could do it. I could do it. After it was done, I was like, no, because if I was really going to buy like my collector's item that I was going to put on a pedestal in the basement when I was too old to ride, it'd be an FZ250. It would be that phaser, which was mm -hmm. like one of the original 250 four-cylinder bikes. Suzuki had come out with one really slow dog before that, but that was really the one that kind of was successful and ignited the whole 254 cylinder craze in Japan. So I was like, and it's just so 80s looking. It's so much cooler that I was like, yeah, doesn't it kind of look like the uh, Suzuki Katana? Yeah, Katana. 80, early 80s Katana. A little sleeker than that, but it's got a really funky fairing on it and it's got the the very 80s square tube frame that it's like built like a regular cradle frame, kind of like the SRX six and mm -hmm. the, I think the RD 500 was like that as well. It looks like a regular double cradle frame, but it's in a square tubing, which was kind mm -hmm. of a fad there for kind of the mid eighties. It just, so anyways, I had six hours of deep, deep, fantasizing <laughs> yeah. oh i've been there <laughs> oh just about every night i'm on the couch and i'm on craigslist i go through that same <laughs> but as i was thinking about what if i was going to truly put one production motorcycle because i actually did have a pedestal in my basement that i had in my cb 350f for several years was we kind of have a paneled not really nicely finished but somewhat finished room in our basement it's got like 70s wood grain paneling on it stuff but it's just concrete floor and i had a little two inch riser in there that i had had that on until mm -hmm. i just decided i felt so guilty about not having it being ridden that i sold it to a aircraft mechanic that i knew that's actually a really good question what would be your pedestal bike yeah i've, I've got a lot of them but the two that come immediately to mind are the Bomoda SB6 and then the Aprilia RS250 bike that we didn't really get as street legal here. Uh, in the not in the Chesterfield colors, but in the sort of the purple and uh purple and black. Is that what it is, I think? But yeah, one of those two, I think, would be. Other than, well, other than like an RC30. because I, you know. I think when you said Bimota, <laughs> the, the KB1 would be the one that I would probably. Just the the one yeah, the one thing that I really love, though, about the SB6 is just the, the way they did the frame. It literally comes from the headstock and it's a big aluminum box tube that goes right down to the swing arm pivot. Right. And just that big straight line. Just, I don't know, it was always super cool, sexy and unobtainable in the late 90s. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I think any 500cc two-stroke would be oh sure on a pedestal, but preferably a Yamaha. I'm like the Yamaha fanboy, so. Oh, yeah. But yeah, anything 500cc two-stroke, and then next to that, anything 250cc two-stroke. <laughs> <laughs> yep, 100%. Yeah, and then looking at anything modern... If money were no object, it'd be the Sutter 500. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, well, uh, yeah, because if we're going to that, then I want Doug Chandler or John Kaczynski's 93 Kajiva GP bike, because that mm -hmm. is the prettiest 500 GP bike that ever existed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If I go old school, if I, there was something that I meant 
you know, was going to put on a pedestal that I wasn't necessarily going to take out and ride. I think something like mm, late 50s, early 60s, 650 Panther, the the PM Panther, which was the big giant sloper motor from the UK. Not something that I would necessarily want to have to take out and ride, but it would they're fascinating to look at. I could just make a hobby out of sitting in a chair looking at that motorcycle. So then of course there's um and and it literally is more as, as a piece of art than it even as a motorcycle it would be like a Vince of Black Shadow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know, yeah. I, but that like that literally you're you're putting it up there as a piece of art. Mm-hmm. In thinking through all of this, I came up with an idea. I'd let you guys know about it ahead of time so we could talk about it. If we were going to, all three of us, get together and buy three examples of the same motorcycle that we could all agree was a great bike that we would want to have, all three of us are going to go out and buy three matching bikes, 2023 current production motorcycle. Is there a motorcycle that all three of us could agree on as the production motorcycle that we would we would all be at least okay with and i and i'm not sure there is but i think it'd be interesting to talk about first of all what quality qualities would you absolutely have to have or nope they're total deal breakers before we talk about individual models it has to be able to make me smile when I'm accelerating, <laughs> doesn't have to scare me, but it has to make me smile. Okay, it has to have the Zach Quartz giggle factor. Yes, it has to have the giggle factor. Yes, okay. I I would probably have to say no forward controls. They can't be a cruiser. <laughs> it's got to be at yeah. least mid controls, like a standard Sportster. Mm-hmm. No, that's a deal breaker for me. Yeah, you know, I've actually never ridden true forward controls. I have no interest in it either. <laughs> I have, and I spent the whole time so nervous that if I relaxed my legs, I was going to have a heel down on the pavement. Yeah. It's like it just feels so unnatural to have to hold your legs up onto the pegs. And you go over any kind of a, a bump and you feel it in your spine because you can't... You're, your legs can't absorb any of your body weight. It just see, it seems like it would feel like such an unnatural position on a motorcycle, I guess. But I'm used to more of an attack position. And if I weren't in that attack position, I think I would just feel odd. I don't know if I could get past. It's going to be a street only bike. I would say not ADV because mm-hmm. I don't know how much any of us are really going to actually ride off road, you know. Yeah. So I went with street bike and I went with standard and I came up with, well, three or four. Okay. Why don't you go first? Give us your three or four and I'll, I'll see if any of those line up with mine. Okay. So first I went with, first I thought it was like, what's a brand we could all buy a brand we could agree upon. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. This one was like, ah, and then it was real easy. It was triumph because I think for all of us, there's something in the triumph lineup that we just go. 100% 100% yeah. would mm-hmm. be happy with this bike. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because the new Street Triple RS was just shown off and I went, <laughs> yes, yes, very much. Thank you. Um, if we were to all three have to, and let's just say we're going to go with Triumph because I could throw KTM in there for like an 892 or something like that. Um, but uh, for Triumph, if we all had to pick one, and I think it would be one that Garrett and I would like because it's got the power, but we also like the styling. Pete, you like the older school styling. It'd be a lot of power, more than you'd want, but you'd be okay with it. Uh, I went with the Speed Twin 1200. Yeah. Yeah. I actually was thinking uh, Scrambler 1200, the XE. Mm. Uh, You were thinking not having something dual sport, but it actually makes a real good street bike. And I think... I would like to have the ability to do gravel roads and stuff like that, that I think we're thinking very much like I was thinking either the, the 1200 Bonneville or the scrambler, mm-hmm. but I could go 
anything other than probably the thruxton because there's no way my back and my wrists are gonna yeah no i'm getting to that point too so i i I would agree with that yeah and i will say um the aesthetics on the street twin like i am like a huge fan of that like classic Mm -hmm. um sort of standard style riding position and aesthetic um still with some modern power where you can actually accelerate and go uh you know not feel like pressed to be on the freeway so i i could definitely get on board with yeah, that. it's, I, it's that one, close to 100 horsepower it's a 438 pounds so it's you know kind of in that ballpark so yeah surprisingly not very heavy for all things considered you were talking about when you had the 650 interceptor from royal enfield how much you like having just a standard motorcycle mm-hmm. and this is mm-hmm. that with more power and water cooling and a better build quality and better brakes yep. i yeah. mean it's like yeah. it's like everything you like about something like a royal enfield but with oh, a little a little bit more of everything yeah. yeah and 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 my only real issue i had like two issues with that bike the the brakes were okay i didn't mind them too much um they could use probably pads would have fix any issue i had with the brakes um but it was just when you when you open the throttle it was just it was signing off right as it was starting to get not quite giggle fun but sort of like okay here we go you know and um mm-hmm. but which is fine it's definitely a decaf latte yeah, yeah. it's not black yeah. coffee exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly so you know it's what 45 or 47 horsepower or something like that so um, but mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed the styling of the bike. I thought the build quality of that bike was fine. But it was just, yeah, it just needs needs a, needs an upgrade in power. Yeah, just a little more. Yeah. All right, Garrett, where were where were you going with this? I don't know how much Pete is really gonna buy onto this one. I think maybe you might. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, was, I was trying to think of something that we could all agree on, and one of the ones that I came up with was a Ducati Multistrada. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I th- th- that I know you said no ADV, but that's that's a that's well, a pretty that was my, that was that's what I said. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, V twin, right? Or I don't know. Are the newer ones? Do they make a V four Multistrada? Yeah. Yes, they do. Yeah, they, they so make both. It, I would probably say the, the V twin is probably pretty heavy. Yeah, and I would probably prefer to go with the V twin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's um. Of course, comfortable, right at long distance. It has performance. It has aesthetic. Um, it has the sound. Um, maybe a little bit. Well, I guess depends on on what kind of flavor Multistrada, but might be a little too aggressive. I'm not really sure. Um, but I could really see uh, owning a Multistrada. I think there's a practical expense not only of purchasing one of those and uh what it takes to maintain you know mm-hmm. the, the the maintenance cost for ducati uh, you get the ducati tax so mm-hmm. uh in realistic terms i'm not sure i would spend the money for that over something you know japanese but i would yeah. definitely say yeah you you could if i could swing it and we all agreed on it i would I would totally sign off on that. And that's got mm-hmm. all the, you know, ride modes and cruise control and everything that yeah. I like. Um, I, I had a couple, I, I wasn't sure about the, the 1200 scrambler triumph. I thought that one was eh, probably good. I thought briefly about the uh, XSR 900, the new mm-hmm. one in the Galois colors and, oh, yeah. uh, I'd prefer to have something with cruise control, but mm-hmm. uh, that one I would, I I would be more than agreeable with that. I think it's a really neat, gorgeous bike, and it's better than any motorcycle I've ever owned. So you know, I would, yeah. uh, I'd definitely be interested in that one. Uh, the other one that I came up with that I thought would be a winner for all of us is the Tuano six sixty. Yeah, I was going to say Tuano six sixty as well. You, you go in. Eh? No, no, no. I, I'm agreeing with that one. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, I no, thought no, no, no. you yeah. were like, yeah, no, I'm not sure. No, 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 no. I, I would I would definitely, I can go for a Tuano 660. 100%. Yeah, that was um, one of my 
top picks was a Tuano 660. Okay. If we were looking for something that was not necessarily for long everyday rides, if we wanted something just strictly for the couple hours Sunday ride for, for the intellectual interest of owning it. Uh, I was thinking about the new uh, Ninja 400, the ZXR or ZX 400 RR. Yeah, um, that's, that's an interesting bike coming to the U.S. considering they have completely neutered it. <laughs> They've neutered it? Is it a four-cylinder? Yes. Yeah, it's a four-cylinder, 400cc bike. That in the U.S. they're capping like at ten thousand RPM. Oh, really? It'll, oh. That'll be the most worst. So electronically limited. Yeah. So it's only going to have like forty-four or four, like forty-three or forty-five horsepower. And how? And like zero torque. Yes. <laughs> torque. Because if that engine and it's going to be like why would like eight thousand dollars? Yeah. No, it's going to be closer to ten. It will make exactly no torque. Yeah. At that RPM. I mean, that yeah, engine yeah. doesn't start warming up until ten thousand. Exactly. Pretty much all of the U.S. publications online were talking about it when uh, when it was kind of announced that, uh, yeah, it's come. I don't I, and I, and for no it's, real good reason. I don't know if it was for noise or whatever. They're they're making some claim, but emissions maybe not I'm, even because it's Euro five compliant. So I'm wondering yeah. if this is because in the U.K. it needs to be A two compatible. No, in the EU it's going to be full fat. That'll be a frustrating motorcycle to ride. The whole point of having like that. that is to have the whatever it is thousand RPM red Let line. Let it scream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they're going to have have a aftermarket a power commander that's going to de-restriction for re- off for, for off road use only. Yeah. yeah. Because who's going to buy that except people who want to take it to a racetrack? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's really disappointing. Okay. Well, that one can go in the bin. <laughs> <laughs> If and, and if anyone wants to prove me wrong, just go post it over in the Facebook page. Please do. But yes, yes. I, I, I had I read multiple things that that said the same thing. OK, the other one that I thought of, and this one is pushing production, is through the Yamaha R3 with the GG retrofits kit, the old oh, school yeah. TZ 500 looking fairing and mm-hmm. tail section on an R3. I just think that is the coolest way to have a fun little bike. And I looked up GG retrofits and they're still making them. They're out of stock at the moment, but they're still in production and they run production every so often. And you have to wait, you know, basically get on a waiting list for them. I like the livery. It's got that kind of like martini racing look. Mm-hmm. That looks don't, don't touch it. Yeah. Right. Just, just don't touch it. Pretty impressive. Yeah. I know we all liked it when we first saw it. And, uh, yeah. But I, I think you're right. I think the speed triple. Speed twin. Sp- speed twin. Thank you. <laughs> speed, yeah, the speed twin 1200. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that would probably be as close as we could come to something all of us would, would be like, yep, I'm totally thumbs up with that. And Pete, 10,000 mile service intervals. Oh, there you go. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> and cruise control and yeah. ride modes and all that good stuff. 100, hor- 100 horsepower, 83 foot pounds of torque. Yeah, so, that's a lot of torque. That's a lot of torque. Yeah, that that would that would make you giggle. Yes, it would. Another one that I was thinking of was the um, Indian FTR twelve hundred. Yeah, is just a kind of hooligan bike, and you know, in that same kind of almost standard riding position, sporty kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know if it beats out the street twin. I'm probably more of a parallel twin British vibe than the than the V twin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you guys know me. I'm not much of an American V twin kind of guy. <laughs> Everyone I've talked to, that's an impressive bike. Yeah, I want to ride one. I really want to ride one. Sorry, I I looked. I was a little off in the weight. It's four seventy one. So it's. 440 probably dry and then 474 but even then it's still it's, yeah that's it's reasonable mm-hmm. I mean that's as much as a uh, Aprilia Tuano really yeah, just slightly much. more slightly yeah. more and quite honestly if I was going to have something to go out in my garage and look at I think a speed twin mm-hmm. is just more engaging to me than a Tuano 
I, although I saw a Tuano in the dealership recently and and looked at it, and it's an interesting looking motorcycle. I would not call it beautiful. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, you you mean the six sixty Tuano? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was looking at they, they had a couple of 660 factories at the local dealership. It 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 has presence. You look at it and go, "Wow, that really gets your attention." But it's not like a, "Ooh, that's just gorgeous yeah. to look at." It's just kind of yeah. A, there are some interesting discounts going on on those right now. Oh, really? Or like the like it, lightly used or dealer demo bikes, or they were sitting around. They were they were a couple grand off a of stick off of MSRP. And yeah. It, they had one with a pipe and one without it, and they were both discounted off MSRP, which, you know, a year ago would have been unheard of for a dealer to be doing that. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah, because I think I saw something like mid to high eights on that. I'm like, ooh, hello. It, it is it is to get on and ride. It would be interesting to cross shop those mm-hmm. and find out which one was really more satisfying because I can see either one being the one you go, yeah, I, that's one I really want because um, – I don't know. It, it, interesting question, and one that will go unanswered because I ain't spending that kind of money. Yeah, <laughs> for me, a long one. time before I have thirteen grand or whatever to mm-hmm. spend on a motorcycle. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have to say, we got some very interesting, and uh, in my opinion, very flattering and wonderful feedback when we announced that we were wrapping up the podcast and i'm going to go ahead and uh acknowledge some of the people and read some of the stuff that was sent to us because i it it was wonderful we don't get a lot of feedback every once in a while there's one guy on uh adv rider that sends me private messages through there that i know he listens but he usually is just making a comment about you know some little arcane fact that we brought up that he had a comment on and uh, but overall, we don't get a lot of listener feedback. So I was really pleased that we got all of the messages that we did. Uh, I won't use last names because I haven't cleared this with anybody, whether I can say their name or not. But uh, Al wrote, really bummed this is ending. You guys were my favorite podcast. It reminded me of my friends and I sitting around the garage. I do, however, understand why you're ending it. You will be missed. So thank you for that. And that's Sitting around the garage is probably what we were aiming for. So mm-hmm. Alex says, wow, I just finished the last episode. I'm still processing, but wanted to thank you for everything you guys have done. I've been listening since way back, not from the first episode, but somewhere in the first dozen or so. I'll be following this account closely. The first thing I thought when you made this announcement was how will I follow Boltakenstein, but you guys gladly calmed me down. I wish you all the best and thanks again for a great motorcycle podcast. So thank you, Alex, for that. Chris from the UK responded in a couple different places on my YouTube channel and Facebook. He said, uh, generally gutted, you guys are closing the podcast. Always look forward to hearing from you. Ride safe. Long-term listener from the UK. Uh, By the way, I looked online. Only 60% of our listeners are in the US since we went to Anchor, you know, our our provider platform. 40% of our listeners are outside the United States. Which I was really surprised at. So that's yeah. cool. Yeah, uh, it is very cool. He said, "Shame you guys don't feel the podcast is worth doing." Always look forward to your update. Ride safe. Uh, it's not that we don't think it's worth doing. It's it's demands of demands on time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eric, you said something on your Music of My Life podcast that kind of resonated with me when I was thinking about this. I had just read this and I was listening to that. And you said, I would rather have a band that puts out a couple of really good albums, just leave it at a couple of really good albums than, you know, a string of mediocre albums trying to repeat their earlier success and failing. Now, I don't think any of our episodes were chart topping, and I don't think any of them were terribly mediocre. But I do think it's time for us to say it's the success that it is. I don't think we're adding a whole lot to our legacy by continuing. So it's not that we don't think it's worth doing. We're doing this on a Sunday afternoon because this is the only time that three of us could find to get together. So and, and I'm actually like skipping curling the my curling league to, to do it. So mm-hmm. uh, playoffs start next week. So it was fine. It wasn't a problem. Um, and what I will say is as we record this, we're like, seven years and five days since we recorded our first episode yes yes yeah 
So I think this is a good, you know, on, on a number of different levels, it's a great stopping point. Yeah. Yeah. I reached out to Jeff Glucker at Hooniverse and said, hey, at the time there were like three or four podcasts on Hooniverse. And I said, hey, how about a motorcycle podcast? And he said, great. So the article that I posted saying, hey, if you want to host a podcast with me, get in touch, was February 10th of 2016. Our first episode went live February 26th, and then the Hooniverse announcement actually happened on March 1st, even though it had come out a couple of days earlier, because I, I didn't know what I was doing at the time. I was like, I'm going to do this one step at a time and not announce it until I know everything worked. So, yes, we are just over seven years. And I, and I have to say, going back and when I put together the clip show that we had in February... I was really expecting to have a whole lot of really cringy stuff early on. And we really <laughs> didn't. There were there were a couple of things that I think we tried that didn't work. But looking back through it all, the biggest problem for me was some of the stuff has really lousy sound quality. And it's usually the guests, not <laughs> us. Yep. Yep. I remember a couple. Uh, and unfortunately, some of the best ones we had have the worst sound quality. Uh, the interview with Steve Letcham, who is an amazing restorer in England, mm -hmm. was almost unlistenable. Uh, the second one we did with Abby, where Abby was on his cell phone outside at an airport. It was such an interesting conversation. And, and Abby's such a great guest, but the sound quality got in the way. Steve Foe that was on his bike mm -hmm. riding while he was talking to us was a really cool experiment. But some of the times we really struggled with sound quality with guests. Yeah. Uh, the other one was who's the guy from Moto America? Um, Varner. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. His system didn't give us really great sound quality. And uh, again, that was another really interesting one. Uh, Jordan wrote, I am really sorry to hear you're ending the show. Learned about you three years ago. I've gone back and I look forward to your monthly show. Thank you for all the wonderful stories and insights you've given me. You've introduced me to many new brands of motorcycles I'd never heard of. Mostly everything that you work on is projects. I look forward to your shop updates and banter between each of you. There are many review and state-of-the-art motorcycle podcasts and YouTube channels. I relish the different take on podcasting that you provided. Your stories, shop updates, and tidbits about life are what I come for. I will stay subscribed in case you decide to post the occasional new podcast. Even if all you do is record an occasional unedited conversation between the three of you about life, family, and writing, I would love to hear it. I get one episode a year out of Dan Carlin's Hardcore History and still stay happily subscribed. Thank you again for your time, effort, and courage to share life with random strangers on the internet. I hope to one day run into you and meet each of you in person. If nothing else, to thank you in person and shake your hands. Uh, Pete, Garrett, and Eric, you will be missed. Uh, that's that's incredibly touching. Yeah. Knowing that that was what you liked about us is very rewarding. We we tried to do some stuff like other people do, and it didn't work, and we kind of found our own groove. Mm -hmm. You are welcome to stay subscribed. If we do something, you'll know about it, but... For my own sense of closure, we are shutting the book on this. Uh, we'll still be in touch, and I'm sure mm -hmm. we might do stuff. What we do in the future may be totally unlike this. It might be a YouTube live stream. It might be Facebook Live. I don't know what we might do. Who knows? Uh, but uh, thank you for that as well. So uh, and thank you to everybody who's listened. As we wrap up, what stands out to you guys uh, take an opportunity to close things out just kind of what this has meant to you or what do you, what do you remember most? Yeah. Well, I think that um, I've had an opportunity, well, not only to meet you guys, but also some of the guests that we've had, which has been um, pretty cool. I mean, we've had some, uh, if not recognizable, some very important people in the motorcycling community. Um, and it's been, good to hear from them. And I've always, you know, sometimes had some sort of obscure projects and, and no one around me cares or is even remotely interested in some of the things that I do in my workshop. So being able to sort of share those things with you has been fun. I think, um, 
you know, some of the like greater engineering achievements have been working on that Yamaha TX750 right. that I had. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, just trying to keep that thing on the road. And there are very few people in this world that even really know what that what that means or like to to have to like machine these things and so being able to talk about it with something with, with someone has been um it's been cool and uh kind of sharing and and those learnings and um being able to keep some motorcycles on the road and share it with you guys it's been a lot of fun yeah for me it's 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 been fun just exploring different parts of the motorcycle world that I normally don't pay attention to. So I, most of, most of my stuff for motorcycles has always been racing, you know, sport bikes and racing and doing all these episodes with you guys. And then the guests we've had, it's been 90, 95% not in that on, you know, in that lane, which is cool. That's good. It makes it, it makes, makes you have to pay attention, learn things, um, mm-hmm. not just fake it. And I can tell you from some episodes way back in the day when I did Rumble Strip Radio, there was, you know, it was a, it was a ninety minute show, and I I I don't want to say I faked it, but I was just like didn't have to think much about it, right? It was easy. And this you always had to think about stuff because it's oh I don't know about that. What's this thing? So mm-hmm. that's that's always been great. Yeah, Pete, I've I've been into bikes since I was seventeen. It's the one thing in my life, other than my wife and my faith, that doesn't get old. It's an evergreen passion that I've come back to so many times. There are so many great parts about it, from the history and the stories to the engineering. Motorcycles are the one thing that I've been so fascinated with. I I don't have motorcycling acquaintances that I spend my time with. Uh, you know, I don't even post motorcycling stuff on my regular Facebook page for my friends because they'd be like, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. Having some people that get it, that I can say, this is a really cool motorcycle because, and, and not only will go, yeah, I agree, but they'll have an insight about that. That really is so valuable to me. And I've had people, you know, we've had Jim on the show and Jim has been a friend of mine for a lot of years and he, he Mm kind of gets it long distance relationship people that I can text you guys and go, I know you're going to get this. I can put something in our little Slack chat and you guys are like, that's really cool. I'm like, thank you for knowing what that Mm -hmm. is. Even that's, that's the thing that it's meant the most to me. And as I said, many times we just get together to talk because we like to talk. And if other people get to hear it, great. But I have to say those messages of it's really rewarding for people to listen to us talk about something we're passionate about just makes it that much nicer to know yeah. that we've we've kind of shared that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I've delayed this as much as we can, but uh, I think it's time for us to say goodbye for the last time, not to each other, but to our listeners Thank you so much for listening. It is truly a privilege that you've chosen to take time out of your life to listen to the stuff that three fairly ordinary guys that weren't famous people or industry professionals (laughs) wanted to talk about. I have really enjoyed the journey. I appreciate everybody doing it with us. Gary, on our first episode, you talked about the fact that you had just gotten your father-in-law's Vespa running and had just taken it out for a ride. And that was our first episode and you just sold it. Just sold it. So that was a really nice set of bookends for the podcast. Mm -hmm. We've had the same closing theme for 130 episodes. So I thought since this is our last time closing it out we're going to send you out with the full three minute version of our closing theme jason shaw's pioneers 